We read this evening God's inspired word in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory, for, for, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Notice especially the twelfth verse of this chapter, Ephesians 3. In whom, that is in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. We continue this evening our consideration of true faith, looking now at the instruction of our Heidelberg Catechism 
in Lord's Day 7, where we consider this evening questions and answers 21 through 23. Having, saw, having seen last week that faith is essentially, fundamentally, that graft that God establishes, uniting us with Christ, we then are asked in question 21, what is true faith? True faith is not only a certain knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word, but also an assured confidence which the Holy Spirit works by the gospel in my heart that not only to others, but to me also remission of sin, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. What is then necessary for a Christian to believe? All things promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic undoubted Christian faith briefly teach us. And then what are those articles so follows what we know as the Apostles' Creed and confess every Sunday evening. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, in last week in considering the first question and answer of Lord's Day 7, we saw that there's a very important distinction to be made when we search out the biblical concept of faith. Faith is first and essentially that living graft that God himself establishes as he unites us to Christ. It's that bond that unites us to Christ and therefore through which we receive his life and his benefits. Because not one person without Christ can be saved. It's also true that not one person can be saved without faith. That living graft, which is true faith, the very essence of faith, is established by God at the moment of regeneration. That new birth by which we receive the life of Christ is therefore also the establishment of that living graft or bond that unites us to Christ by which we receive his life and all his benefits, the benefits that flow from Calvary. Our salvation is in him. That salvation is ours from him by means of faith. So faith is not first, nor essentially, the act of believing. Faith is first and essentially that living graft established by God and by which we are united to Christ and receive his life and his blessing. We saw last week how important it is that we understand that lest we fail to see the salvation of the church's little children. Elect, regenerated children are saved by faith. 
They are saved by the life that is theirs in Christ. Even before they are capable of consciously laying hold of Christ in the act of believing on him, they are saved by faith. To them, as much as to us, applies the words of Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. But today we come to another aspect of saving faith. That is, the activity of faith. The fact that God saves by that living graft, those little ones whom he takes to glory before, they consciously rest upon Christ by believing on him, does not indicate the normative way in which God saves his people. To that end, God works in his people in such a way that by his gospel, he calls that faith to consciousness so that they believe, thus embracing Christ and all his benefits. And to that end, the gospel is proclaimed with the call, either implied or emphatically proclaimed, repent and believe, or believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Now here, there are many who want to introduce confusion into what the Bible clearly sets forth. They either want to view faith's activity as man's work, or they want to accuse us, who speak of the activity of saving faith, of making faith a condition that man must fulfill in order to be saved. Let me first address that latter accusation. When Scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, the meaning is not that you will be saved by fulfilling a condition of believing. The meaning is not that you shall be saved because of your faith. Because you believe. Faith is not a ground for salvation. Herman Hooksema used the illustration one time of Christ as the reservoir of all that we need for salvation. When when we have seen that faith essentially is that living bond, let's say the pipeline that unites us to the fountain or to the reservoir, which pipeline was not established by us, it's the gift of God, then we must realize that faith is the means by which God gives us the water of life, who is Christ. We are not saved on condition of faith, 
we are saved by means of faith. But when Christ speaks by the word of his power, calling us from darkness to light, he works in us also that activity by which we consciously receive him. The activity of believing. Also that activity is the means by which God works to apply to our lives the riches of our union with Christ and therefore by which he quenches our thirst. So what is involved in believing? Believing is obviously a conscious activity. We heard last week from our Canons of Dort, Article 12 in the Third and Fourth Heads of Doctrine, that statement, man is himself rightly said to believe and repent by virtue of that grace received. Christ is not the one who repents and believes. You are called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is believing then our work? No. It is God's work. Ephesians 2 verse 8. In our conscious activity, by which, there you have the means once again, by which we receive, even embrace Christ as our Savior as our wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? You don't think, do you, that that simply means to believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again? You don't think, do you, that that it is just a matter of believing what you've been taught through the years from the Bible? Certainly there are articles of the Christian faith that belong to the substance of our believing. Faith lays hold of something substantial. Fundamentally, the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. But don't overlook the fact that that faith lays hold of him personally so that I know the relationship in which I stand to him. That I may appear before God with boldness. It's from that point of view that I call your attention to the activity of a true faith that is from the viewpoint of what we read in Ephesians 3 verse 12, in whom, that is in Christ, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. My theme then is appearing before God with boldness. By the activity of a true faith, first of all. Secondly, as a work of the Spirit through the Word, And finally, in the full enjoyment of this wonder. It is only by the activity of a true faith that we may appear before God with boldness. 
The Catechism puts it this way in the 21st answer. True faith is not only a certain knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word, but also an assured confidence which the Holy Spirit works by the gospel in my heart that not only to others, but to me also, remission of sin, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. True faith is personal knowledge. Personal knowledge. Now you understand knowledge is embraced by the activity of the mind. Belonging to this knowledge, therefore, is the intellectual understanding of something. And the Catechism explains it. It's the knowledge of all that God has revealed to us in His Word. When it goes on to ask the question, what is then necessary for a Christian to believe, it answers all things promised us in the Gospel which the articles of our Catholic undoubted Christian faith briefly teach us. And then it points to those articles as those set forth in what we know as the Apostles' Creed. That points us to the substance of what it is to believe in Jesus. You can't believe him unless you know something about him. But then let's understand something. And this is something that, that I emphasize often to my older catechism students. The knowledge of God's truth set forth in Scripture is important. Else, he wouldn't have given it to us. But be careful. When we speak of the activity of a true faith in terms of knowledge, we're not referring simply to the intellectual knowledge that we embrace with our minds and turn over and analyze with our brains. We're speaking of a spiritual knowledge. That is a knowledge of relationship. This is the knowledge, says the Catechism, that not only to others, but to me, to me also, remission of sin, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merit. This is the knowledge, therefore, that these truths set forth in God's inspired word are truths of tremendous significance for me personally. Faith is the knowledge by which I know Jesus as my Savior and my Lord the one with whom I stand in a special relationship, that of a bride to her husband, and therefore with whom I have blessed fellowship 
and in whom I have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. That access, spoken of in Ephesians 3 verse 12, is the access to all the fullness of God. Access into the enjoyment of His covenant life. And while we might speak of that knowledge as that which lays hold of what God has revealed in His Word, and particularly those cardinal truths set forth in the Apostles' Creed, we might look at it from the viewpoint of what we saw back in Lord's Day 1, when we face the question, how many things are necessary for thee to know that thou, enjoying this comfort, mayest live and die happily? And you remember the answer was three. The first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and misery. The third, how I shall show my thankfulness to God for such deliverance. The knowledge of faith, therefore, is knowledge of ourselves as we stand before the perfectly holy God. After all, when God enlightens our understanding, we see things in a different light. As the Spirit works in us, calling that true faith to our consciousness, He gives us to see our hopelessness, our despair, our death. He gives us to know our sin and separation from God that we brought upon ourselves by our sin. He works in us, therefore, that true sorrow of heart that works repentance. Repentance that will be seen in the fruits thereof. This knowledge of a true faith compels me to cry out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Mind you, not just a sinner, as if we are measuring ourselves alongside this one or that one and pointing the finger at everyone else. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. But this faith is also the knowledge by which we know Jesus Christ as the fullness of our salvation. Our salvation is in Christ alone. Yes, that knowledge knows that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That knowledge knows that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. That knowledge knows that he rose again the third day, and so on. 
But again, the mind of faith does not merely know these things about Jesus as if a person might become an expert in knowledge about some other historical figure. The mind of faith knows that the suffering and death of Jesus was for me and in my place. The knowledge of faith understands that he rose from the dead as God's testimony that his work perfectly accomplished my justification. The knowledge of faith sees Christ as the one who continues his work in me by his Holy Spirit. And so true faith also has that element of an assured confidence. Ephesians 3 verse 12 speaks of boldness and confidence. Boldness is freedom from fear. The one who is bold goes straight forward no matter the circumstances he faces. He isn't hesitant or doubtful. While there are certain circumstances he might be afraid, boldness is is the strength to press on in the face of that fear. Now let's not forget, we're talking about our approach to the living God. We're talking about approaching Him in the knowledge of our own sin and knowing that He is the one before whom no sinner can stand. To approach Him in boldness is to approach Him free from any fear of being rejected. How can that be? That boldness comes by faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that I belong to Him. With the knowledge of faith comes the boldness and confidence. This confidence is an activity that flows from the relationship that is ours with the God of our salvation. You can't confide in someone who's out to kill you. Of course not. You confide in one you trust, in one you love. You trust in one with whom you stand in a relationship of of an intimacy. Confidence in God means the personal assurance of the love of God for you. And again, that comes from the knowledge that not only to others, but to me also, Remission of sin, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. 
for the sake of Christ's perfect satisfaction, in your place, God has reconciled you unto himself, embraced you, bestowed his love upon you, and drawn you with the cords of that love. In that knowledge, you have confidence, not only of your acceptance with God, but you have confidence that in every circumstance of life, he's thinking upon you. Psalm 40, verse 17. He's girding you with strength and making your way perfect. Psalm 18, verse 32. He's leading you and upholding you by his right hand. Psalm 139, verse 10. He's making all things work together for your good. Romans 8, verse 28 guiding you by his counsel, afterward to receive you to glory. Psalm 73, verse 24. That's all ours. By faith in Jesus Christ. That is, the activity of faith rests upon Christ and his perfect work for me and his certain promises given to me. That's your boldness, is it not? We appear before God with that boldness as a work of the Spirit through the Word. The aspect of saving faith that we consider today is man's activity, not man's work. Faith from the beginning to end is the work of the Holy Spirit. We established that last week from Ephesians 2 verse 8 when we considered the essence of faith, but the same is true of faith as it's brought to the conscious activity of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. If it were not for the Spirit's work you would never hear the call of the Savior to you. You would never understand with the spiritual understanding the beauty of God's Word, the riches of the Gospel for you. You could sit under the preaching your whole life long, but if not for the work of the Spirit, it would mean nothing to you personally and spiritually. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. And verse 14 But the natural man knoweth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. The Spirit alone is the one who works in us 
that spiritual discernment and understanding that comes by the exercise of your mind as you hear the gospel proclaimed to you and as you search the Word of God. Don't let anyone tell you that when we speak of faith as man's activity, we are making faith man's work and we are denigrating the sovereignty of God. Don't let anyone tell you that our faith is entirely passive. As I pointed out last week, faith is passive if you are speaking of that of the essence of faith as that living graft that unites us to Christ. But when that faith is called to our consciousness, that faith is called to activity. That's the way in which God works salvation of his people. You are not to believe any deceiver who says, Christ believes, Christ repents. It's blasphemous to portray Christ as one who should repent and believe. You are called to repent and believe. Let's not forget our Reformed confessions in this matter. I refer particularly to Article 12 of the third and fourth heads of the canons, together with the surrounding articles in that section of our creed. I refer especially now to that expression, in all whose heart God works in this marvelous manner, are certainly infallibly and effectually regenerated and do actually believe. Whereupon, the will, thus renewed, is not only actuated and influenced by God, but in consequence of this influence, becomes itself active. Wherefore also, man is himself rightly said to believe and repent by virtue of that grace received. And so we are called to issue the command to repent and believe. Lord's Day 7 explains both that certain knowledge and assured confidence as that which the Holy Spirit works by the gospel in my heart. That's a tremendously important expression to understand and embrace. We appear before God with boldness as a work of the Spirit through the Word. The Spirit never works in our consciousness apart from the Word of God. He doesn't whisper in the dark of night, revealing Himself by some special revelation to a particular few. 
He works by the word. Applying that word to the minds and hearts of those who belong to Jesus Christ. Once again, what is emphasized here is that the truth of Holy Scripture, with all its profound doctrines and riches of divine truth, are means which the Holy, by which the Holy Spirit leads us to God and to covenant fellowship with Him. We ignore that to our peril. All Christian doctrine is designed to lead to a most beautiful result in those who are children of God. It's designed to bring us to God. That we rest upon Christ in the personal experience and enjoyment of the relationship that is ours with Him. You must never regard an intellectual understanding of doctrine as an end in itself. If doctrine, if the truth of Scripture is something that you receive intellectually only to discuss and argue about, you are in a most sorry state. 1 Corinthians 13 makes clear, you can have all knowledge of the Bible and still be as sounding brass in a tinkling cymbal. You might be able to converse with the most intelligent theologian and yet perish in your sin. The truth of Scripture, with all its rich doctrine that we will have opportunity to consider over the next several months, the cardinal truths set forth in the Apostles' Creed are meant and designed to bring us and to keep us in the conscious enjoyment of his covenant life. That's why, no matter where you look in Holy Scripture, no matter how you study a particular doctrine, justification, for example, you never find that doctrine in isolation in Scripture. That doctrine is always revealed as the truth of God reflected in the lives of his people. A people taken into the fellowship of his own life and love. So the apostle in Ephesians 3 verse 12 makes clear that these unsearchable riches of Christ all serve to lead us into the joyful confession in whom we have boldness and confidence and access with confidence by the faith of him. Nothing's more remarkable. 
you and I, who are one with Christ by faith, are given by God the knowledge and confidence that we have blessed fellowship with him who alone is God. There's an unhindered intimacy in the active faith of a child of God. By faith, we know and confess that Jesus Christ alone is the door into the presence of God for us. He's the one who said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You remember from the gospel accounts of Jesus' death that among the wonders by which God announced the accomplishment of his son's perfect work on the cross was that the veil of the temple suddenly ripped open from the top to the bottom, signifying by that that by Christ's perfect work, we may now enter the sanctuary of God's presence without inhibition, without fear. Everything he came for and all he did, he did to reconcile us unto God so that we may come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4 verse 16. And all this is by the faith of him. And because this speaks of our conscious embrace of Christ, it speaks of the activity of faith, the blessed gift God has given us and through which he works by the gospel in our hearts so that we appropriate Christ and all his benefits. So the Spirit works by the word in your mind and heart by the word, and by applying to us the promises of God, the gospel of our salvation, we live in the knowledge not only of our sins and misery, but of the remission of our sin, of our righteousness in Christ, of our reconciliation unto God. We live by faith in the confidence of our Heavenly Father's fellowship and favor. And therefore, finally, we live in the full enjoyment of this wonder of bold and confident access into Father's house. Let's remember, people of God, the devil hates faith. He hates not only the God who establishes that faith by uniting his elect people to Christ, Satan hates that faith coming to active expression 
in the knowledge and confidence and therefore bearing fruit in the lives of God's people. He would do whatever possible to interrupt the exercise of that faith. If it were possible, he would destroy it. It's not possible. Because that faith is not our work. It's God's. The devil might well interrupt the exercise of that faith. He entices us to fall into sin. Sin which then wounds our consciences and dulls our sense of God's favor. And so the Lord gives us to hear the call to repentance. The call to faith. Also working in us by His Holy Spirit to bring us to our knees in true repentance. Once again to revive us. Then with eyes fixed upon Jesus, we thrive in the enjoyment of God's fellowship, knowing that the perfect work of His own dear Son and the wonder of His love and grace has been bestowed upon us. And that He has given to us all the blessings of salvation in my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I am partaker of the covenant blessings of Jehovah's life and love. that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, is my only comfort in life and death. Thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. Amen. The gracious Father, when we contemplate the wonder work of Thy grace, and we contemplate the beauty of faith by which we receive Christ and all His benefits, we stand in awe before Thee and Thy handiwork, the work of Thy Holy Spirit, and Father, we pray that Thou wilt increase our faith Give us to live in the joy of the fellowship that is ours with Thee in our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. For in His name we pray. Amen.